Welcome to the BJ Psych International Podcast. In this episode... America, for instance, and also the European unions, and also the UK, with the remnants of the British Empire, tend to tell people what is good for them. I give you money. I know exactly what is good for you. You do what I tell you. Professor Uriel Halbreich discusses stresses and mental health in Bangladesh, current situation, and future hopes. Hi there, my name is Sachin. I am a general adult psychiatrist working in London. Hi there, I'm Hamilton, and I'm a core psychiatric trainee in London. And as ever, thank you for joining us for the podcast. This time around, we are discussing the journal article Stresses and Mental Health in Bangladesh, Current Situation and Future Hopes. The article goes through various stresses that Bangladesh has been experiencing. It is a densely populated emerging country in South Asia which has emerged from a harsh independence war and since then has suffered repeated floods and other natural and man-inflicted disasters. The article describes some of these stresses, including internal migration from rural areas to urban centres, which has increased crowdedness, pollution, and social conflict. And on top of this, in recent years, the country has absorbed close to a million refugees from Myanmar. These stresses have been associated with an increase in mental disorders and symptoms with which Bangladesh is struggling. Bangladesh has a lack of resources and a shortage of human capital, which has weakened the national capacity to efficiently respond to situational stresses or disasters. So how is it responding to the mental health needs of the country? The article finds that it's promising that the previous model of only responding following crisis has been replaced by the concept of total management through primary health care. But there is room for further development and a need for development of adequate infrastructure, logistics and workforce support, as well as establishment of multidisciplinary teams of management and clinical services. There's a need for collaboration of all related sectors of the government and an overall increase in government funding for mental health. Just thinking about Bangladesh for a second, this article provides a very good background of the country. It's a developing nation in Southeast Asia, which became a separate political and economic entity only 50 years ago. It was part of the British Raj and then pre-independence India until 1947, when it became an eastern province of Pakistan. And then following its Great Liberation War in 1971, the country became independent and thus became Bangladesh. It covers 147,570 square kilometres on the Bay of Bengal. It borders India and Myanmar. And the population of Bangladesh is roughly 163 million. The country has one of the highest population densities in the world at 1,102 people per square kilometre. 38.2% of that population is urban and migration from rural areas to urban centres is substantial and causes congestion and rapid construction. 
For example, says the article in the capital, Dhaka, the population is 21 million people and growing. But despite that population density, there are actually only 0.5 physicians and 0.8 hospital beds per 1,000 people. And what's more, it seems that the majority of healthcare, 65% in rural districts, is provided by village doctors without formal training. Well, it should be interesting to hear more about that and how the government is responding to the various stresses that Bangladeshis experience within the country. And for more on that, we have the corresponding author of the article, Professor Uriel Holbrook, joining us now. Take it away, Sachin. I'm professor of psychiatry in the State University of New York at Buffalo and director of biobehavioral research in the university. I am also founding chair of the WPA, which is the World Psychiatric Association section on interdisciplinary collaboration. I'm actually in my function as the founding chair of the WPA section, am organizing now several RICAs which is a regional interdisciplinary collaborative alliances in which Bangladesh, which is the focus of our interview today, is participating in one of them. But hopefully it will have ramification worldwide, globally. Your paper describes that a lack of resources within Bangladesh and a shortage of human capital have weakened the national capacity to efficiently respond to situational stresses or disasters. How does the country respond to these kind of disasters and is it able to meet those needs? Yeah, this is very important, actually, and this is not only for Bangladesh, because I believe that Bangladesh might serve as a model for other emerging and developing countries. And one of the main issues for developing and emerging countries is lack of resources and the need to get support from other countries. I believe that the support is not only money. And I think that that's also a very important issue, is support that should be tailored to measure according to the interest and needs of the supportee of the developing countries. I'll share with you an example. We Americans, as you can figure out, I was not born in America. I have an accent. I'm an accented American. But as a nation, America, for instance, and also the European unions, and also the UK, with the remnants of the British Empire, tend to tell people what is good for them. I give you money. I know exactly what is good for you. You do what I tell you. International psychiatry and international well-being is very important. And the story that I can tell you about it, I was in Jordan 
few years ago. And I was a visiting professor in Erbid, which is the National University of Jordan. And coincidentally, when I was there, there was a delegation from a very prestigious university in the United States. They got a lot of money to eradicate malaria, which is a very large project, which is a collaboration between a private foundation and the National Institutes of Health in the United States. They came to Erbit, to Jordan, to recruit them as collaborators, as a site for this, for this project, which is an important project. And they told them what to do in order to get the money for this malaria eradication. The issue was this delegation gave them a lot of money, many millions, to eradicate malaria. They were joking about it because for the last decade, they didn't have even one case of malaria in this area. But of course, they got money to eradicate malaria. So I asked them, how come? They said, don't worry. After five years, when the outcomes are evaluated, it's sure that we are not going to have any case of malaria. So we will be able to demonstrate zero cases. I'm bringing this issue because the issue of international support, it's not only for psychiatry, it's for well-being in general. It is usually done by determinations of so-called experts in the places where the money is, in the United States, in the European Union, and several other countries. And they tell you what to do, what is good for you. Now, if we get to Bangladesh, what is important for Bangladesh? Is it COVID, for instance, in the entire world, everybody is concerned about COVID. COVID is important. It's a general global problem. What will be the problem two years from now? One ongoing issue noted within your article is the natural disasters affecting the country, in particular the repeated floodings. Yeah, well, what are the problems in Bangladesh? First of all, after one disaster after another, there are floods on an annual basis. There is congestion in the main cities, mostly in the capital. There is migration from, and this is part of the congestion in the capital. It's a migration of people from rural to urban areas. It's lack of resources, not only in psychiatry, in any social service, any social aspect. And it is migration of Bangladeshi people out of Bangladesh to other countries. You know how I was aware of Bangladesh problems? How? I'm from Buffalo. 
I have been traveling quite a lot before the COVID. Now it's an intermission. But on my way to the airport in Buffalo, most of the taxi drivers in the company that I've been using are Bangladeshi. And I was talking with them. It's very productive, I believe, and interesting to talk with the taxi drivers. They know a lot and a lot of things that we don't think about. So when I was talking with these taxi drivers, it was obvious that many of them are Bangladeshi. In Buffalo, Buffalo is not the most international city in the world. We got into why they got to Buffalo and then why they got out of Bangladesh, why they migrated out because of problems in Bangladesh and better opportunities in the United States. And presumably opportunities to provide for their families back home. As your article mentions, most of Bangladeshi immigrants living abroad leave their families behind in the native land, which can lead to stress for them and their families. Most of them come alone, and that's one of the problems, because they leave their families in Bangladesh. Their families in Bangladesh and also the Bangladeshi economy benefit from this outside migration because it's a source of revenue from abroad that comes back into Bangladesh. But the interaction between the Bangladeshi immigrants and their families and the hometowns in the Bangladesh is very complicated. Which, by the way, if we are talking about immigration from South Asia. In the UK, it's very similar, or it was very similar with immigrants from Pakistan. There are a lot of Pakistani in the UK, a lot of Indians, by the way, but also a lot of Pakistani who are there for a long time. And presumably Bangladeshi immigrants will experience specific stresses which could lead to mental health issues. Yeah, well, it's a major issue among immigrants in general. But there is another issue that we should be aware of. And I saw it. I'm an immigrant in the United States. When you have somebody who doesn't look like you or doesn't talk like you, as a psychiatrist, you tend, unfortunately, to tend to give them diagnoses which are different than what you would give your fellow local people. And there were even studies in the United States, even not with immigrants. These were studies that were at least 40, 50 years ago. In the United States, when a psychiatrist saw a black person, they diagnosed them as schizophrenics, when the same person with I when a white person with the same symptoms would be diagnosed as bipolar. Or as general, they would diagnose black people or a people of color as psychotic much more than they would diagnose white American people. So that's not only for immigrants, it's just people who don't look like you 
or don't speak like you or have different expressions of their symptoms. Everybody who is not like you is crazy, right? And not only do Bangladeshi immigrants experience high stresses and the mental health impacts of that, but your article mentions specific stresses encountered by Bangladeshi women who, for example, complained of high stress due to lack of integration with society and the specific racism that they faced. And on another note, that the government has made special arrangement for taking care of female workers returning from abroad with a history of abuse and exploitation. That's a typical issue for immigrants in general. And uh, it's the same for Bangladeshi, because there are gender differences, there is discrimination against women. And if you are an immigrant, you are more vulnerable to discrimination. And also, the many women immigrants, which, by the way, it's a minority of immigrants. Most Bangladeshi immigrants are men. But women tend to gain less money than men. They are more taken advantage of. And many times, if they come from countries like Bangladesh, they are less educated because of deficiencies in the country of origin, in this case, Bangladesh. But unfortunately, my contacts in the United States were mostly with men, starting with the taxi drivers. So I have less personal experience with women immigrants in the Bangladeshi, women immigrants in the United States. However, in Bangladesh, which is something very interesting, I believe, that people from foreign countries don't pay attention to many times. There are many very ambitious and successful women in Bangladesh, women professionals, and that's something that it's very important, I believe. Bangladesh is a very religious, Muslim religious country. And in Western minds, Muslim countries are very anti-women or discriminate women. Our image sometimes is women with hijab and who are really not having enough human rights. Who is the Prime Minister of Bangladesh? a woman, and who is very religious, by the way, very religious, but very liberal. So you can be religious and open-minded and liberal and very assertive. If you are not assertive, you cannot be elected as prime minister. And pursuing also human rights or being open to pursuing women. In psychiatry in Bangladesh, I gave there back in January 2020 a plenary lecture in the Bangladeshi Psychiatric Association meeting. And it is amazing how many young psychiatrists women are there who are very good and very 
operational and assertive, sometimes even competent. And my main collaborator there actually was a very young woman psychiatrist. And you see this women psychiatrist sitting there dressed in a very traditional Muslim way. But you cannot judge, and that's what we in the West tend to do, to judge people according to their appearance or the way that they are dressed, which had nothing to do with their competence and their knowledge and their potential. And in Bangladesh, there are a lot of young psychiatrist women who are terrific. In Bangladesh, and this was very apparent, the majority of young psychiatrists in the audience, in the Congress, the annual meeting, were women. And the younger the people were, the more women there were there. There was really like an inverse correlation. The older guys were guys, men. The younger people there were, there were more women. So on the one hand, very promising that the psychiatric workforce is diversifying as new generations come along, but still, in terms of seniority, likely a male-driven profession. It depends how you look at it. But one way to increase human resources, and I believe that the prime minister there understand it, is that having more women, which happens anyway in Bangladesh, and excellent, ambitious, and brilliant women. The problem is, and that's one of the problems in Bangladesh, we are discussing it now, and it's not very easy. When the representatives of psychiatry are talking with the prime minister or with the minister of health, the older guys are coming there and not the younger psychiatrists who are women, but they are the junior people. The issue is how to empower the younger psychiatrists and the younger social workers and the younger professionals in general. So let's talk about some of the stresses that Bangladeshis experience within Bangladesh, such as those natural disasters, for example, the repeated floods. What is the mental health impact of this? Well, just imagine if you live in a village that is flooded at least once, sometimes more than once, every year, and nothing is done about it. And you know that next year there is going to be another flood, and there afterwards another flood, and another flood, and another flood. From one side it's positive, because you don't have a good irrigation system, and you need the water for your rice fields and for other places. From the other side it destroys your home. And you know that when you rebuild it, 
it's going to be destroyed again next year. And nobody helps you. What would you do? I can't begin to imagine, but personally, I could see that being a situation where one might feel quite helpless and hopeless. No, it's not helpless. And it's not hopeless. It depends how you look at it. And some people are being strengthened by it. Some people flee to towns or cities. So that's the issue. Who are the people who are being strengthened? Who are people who are more resilient under this situation? Or who are the people who don't see it as helpless and hopeless? Which is not. Because actually Bangladesh, like many other countries, actually not only survived these natural disasters, but actually is doing quite well with them. I'll give you an example, which is from a completely different place, Egypt and Iraq. For thousands of years, there are floods because there is a tidal issue of the Nile, for instance, and it's the same in Iraq with the two rivers there. But what they did, they used the floods of the Nile as a source of life. And they built Egyptian empires which survived with different people. But the Egyptian people forever actually developing and thriving for thousands of years. The same in Mesopotamia, which is now Iraq. Why is it? It's also floods, but they built irrigation systems to use the Niles and then the Tigris and Euphrates as source of life instead of disasters. So, so it's what you are doing and what is your attitude and what is your approach to the situation. When you think about it as hopeless and helpless, then it's when you are doomed. The paper is about stress-related mental health issues in Bangladesh and the mental health care response to that. Is enough being done to support the mental health of Bangladeshis? And if more funding were to be allocated to this area, should it go towards reducing these stresses in the first place as a preventative medicine, or should it go towards the mental health response to such stresses? Well, this is a very important question and issue that you are raising. But what is mental health? If you see mental health as psychiatrists treating mental disorders, that's only a very small part, I believe, of the issue. If you see mental health as part of a well-being in which the mental or behavioral aspects are very closely related to economy, social aspects, attitudes, spirituality, then your report should be different. Is Bangladesh as a country doing enough? There is never enough. Always you can do more. 
And the issue is, and we are discussing it now, how to pursue partnerships, which is another project of mine, how to pursue partnerships to improve mental well-being, to include not only psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, but also economists, entrepreneurial people. If you want to improve well-being, you can make a lot of money out of it if that's what you are interested in. And you can see it in many places in the world. The, the issue is how to do it in a way that would benefit people in the locales that are involved. For instance, if you have a remote village, they need communication, they need a road to get in and out of the village, they need electricity, they need water management, they need a lot of things. People can make money out of these provisions, and people do. So that's one aspect. Also, you have to get beyond psychiatry or beyond conventional psychiatry to a more comprehensive well-being in Bangladesh and in many other countries. And the government of Bangladesh, from an outside view, I'm not a Bangladeshi, I'm an observer from outside who try to think being in their shoes or their sandals in this case. The government is quite open to this thing. Are they doing enough? Not because the truth is that mental health is not the top priority. Food is the top priority. So it takes time. And the issue is that the outside support should be according to the needs as they are determined by the Bangladeshi people, not as they are determined by somebody in New York or Washington, D.C. or London whatsoever. We've discussed the mental health of Bangladeshis who have migrated from Bangladesh. There's also the case of refugees who have fled to Bangladesh from neighboring Myanmar, nearly one million since 2017. What has been the mental health impact for the refugees, but also for native Bangladeshis? Well, the issue is, and there is a lesson of humility here. If you think that Bangladeshi have a lot of misery, the Rohingya in Myanmar, in Burma, are even more miserable. And they are fleeing from Burma or Myanmar. Probably they will change the name again 10 years from now. They are fleeing from Myanmar to Bangladesh. When from the other side, Bangladeshi are migrating from Bangladesh to the West and even to India. And it's not only in Bangladesh, even in India, for instance, I was several times in India, there were Nepalese and Bhutanese who migrated from their countries to Mumbai, for instance, 
which the situation in Mumbai for immigrants is also not good. So with Bangladesh, it's problematic because they have to deal with quite a number of immigrants from Myanmar who need services, who compete on low levels jobs with Bangladeshi, and it's a burden on the government, and it's a burden on societies in Bangladesh. And of course, they are in a very low priority for the government and from any other community. And this is a global issue because local communities are usually not very hospitable to immigrants. This is another issue that Bangladesh might be a model for other places. Something that, by the way, in the West, we don't pay attention to it. These refugees from Myanmar are Muslim. And it's an ethnic and religious minority in Myanmar, which are oppressed by the majority. And that's one of the main reasons that they flee out. And that's another one of the reasons that they flee into Bangladesh, which is another Muslim country. Also, you can see them in Thailand, for instance, but they might prefer or they think that they might be better in a Muslim country. And this is something that we can learn from it. Even when the refugees are of the same religion, Nonetheless, they are refugees and they are not welcome. You find it promising that the government is changing their approach to mental health care. Previously, it was support offered only following crisis and now moving to a more total approach and delivered through primary health care. Could you tell me more about these changes? That's actually the main solution because there aren't enough psychiatrists and it's easier to increase the number of primary care physicians and to have primary care physicians taking care of the mental aspects, which there are a lot, instead of referring to specialists for every case. I would go even further. They do have quite a number of local traditional healers, not medical professionals, which in some places they are very productive. They know the people, they are part of the community. Their way of thinking is traditionally culturally sensitive. They are not westernized in many cases. To be westernized is not always positive. And in many places in Bangladesh, they are integrated into the health system, which is part of the solution. To increase the number of people who can provide mental health services, which they do, and they are quite open to it. 
And presumably this is an integration that would aid access to mental health care, particularly if you're living in rural areas. That's a very important issue. Can a patient in a remote village afford a psychiatrist? In most cases, they cannot. So that's an issue is paying for any health, not only mental health. And that's something that you mentioned before. That's the integration of mental health with physical health or what I would call just general health or health. Mental health is part of general health. It's covering the cost of the human resources in remote places, which is done in most cases by the government. And the issue is how the government can increase the quality of the general practitioners and also integrate traditional healers. And this is not necessarily the interest of psychiatrists, but what services can be provided by nurse practitioners whom you can enhance their proficiency for mental aspects or behavioral aspects. And the government, also in Bangladesh, to my understanding, might more be inclined to increase the number of nurses. And the issue is how we as psychiatrists can actually help to increase the proficiency for mental health of nurses in the community, which is also cheaper, by the way. Nurse doesn't make as much money as the psychiatrist. She doesn't like it, but that's reality. And that's something that we can do. But again, where are the priorities? Are the priorities the psychiatrist or the patients or the government? And how do you find the balance between them? So everybody not necessarily will be happy but at least not feel miserable. I'm always curious about funding and affordability and accessibility of mental health resources around the world. And your article paints a mixed picture of the government's attitude towards mental illnesses within Bangladesh, noting that several mental disorders have been included in the government's definitions of disabilities, followed by allocation of funding, but not necessarily all mental disorders. And then that no essential service package from the government's health sector is actually specified for people with mental illnesses. And that the government's safety net program covers a portion of individuals with neurodevelopmental disorders and some patients with chronic mental illness such as schizophrenia, but that support to people with mental illness living at home is only still in planning. So is there inconsistent levels of support 
towards various mental illnesses within Bangladesh? The issue is, and that's something that maybe was not clear enough, judging by your question in the paper, I see the government designation of several mental illnesses as eligible for disability as an indication that the government is open to consider mental health in general as part of parity with general health. And I believe that the government can be lobbied, they should be lobbied, to increase the parity of mental health with general health. Now the issue is, and that's something that you actually indicated, or at least that's what I think I was hearing from your question, what kind of mental disorders are actually most important from the public health issue? Is it severe mental illness like schizophrenia or severe intellectual disabilities, which the government already in Bangladesh already agreeable to see as a disability? Or is it depression and anxiety and stress and day-to-day behavioral and cognitive aspect, which do not require hospitalization, but people are living with it within the community. And it might be somebody who goes to work every day, but she is very depressed how to take care of her, and how to provide services for people who are not hospitalized, who are living at home. We don't want them to stay at home, but they are living at home and they go to work. And that's an issue, and it's an issue of lobby by the psychiatrists or mental health professionals for the Ministry of Public Health and how to do it and what to emphasize. We psychiatrists tend to emphasize schizophrenia, substance abuse, and other very severe issues. This is a very small percentage of the patients and of the population. And if you want to go into it further, I assume that you are familiar with the WHO and the United Nations studies of the burden of disorders. The burden of depression and anxiety and stress is much higher, for instance, than schizophrenia, and the impact on society is much higher. So if we, as psychiatrists, and I'm in a minority in the field in this case, but if we as psychiatrists are pushing mostly schizophrenia, for instance, or hospitalizations for schizophrenia, in most countries, including Bangladesh, the government doesn't care that much about schizophrenics. 
they might care more about a depressed woman who cannot take care of her children at home or is having difficulty in going to work outside of home because she's depressed or anxious or have problems at work with her husband. So the issue is really where the funding and the services should go. And my impression, again, as an outside observer, is that the government is quite open in Bangladesh, is quite open to consider these issues. Again, as I said, if you remember in the beginning of our conversation here, the Prime Minister seems like she's very open to consider. It depends how you approach it. Well, as we end this interview, is there anything that you would like the listeners to know if they are particularly interested in this topic? Well, if anybody who is watching this podcast would like to have more information or more importantly to discuss ways that we can operationalize solutions, I will be very glad to help. Well, once again, thank you for joining me and taking me through this paper. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And we once again thank Professor Uriel Halbreich for joining us and taking us through that paper in such an interesting interview. Hami, shall we round out the podcast by going through the conclusion of this paper? Sounds like a plan, Sachin. Yep, does indeed sound good. So basically, the paper concludes that through the assessment of stresses and mental health issues in Bangladesh, this highlights the gaps in knowledge and services in stress-related mental health in the country. There has been some progress achieved because of the country replacing their approach of responding only after a crisis to approaching mental health needs in a more encapsulating primary health care approach. This will further be helped by development of infrastructure, logistics, and workforce, which is all planned. Multidisciplinary teams for planning and implementation of services, as well as collaboration with other related sectors of government, are essential elements for success. And, says the paper, owing to current deficient resources, support from national and international agencies is needed. And as you heard in the interview, if you are hearing this and think that you want to be involved with further development of mental health services within Bangladesh, then Professor Halbreich is all ears and he is the corresponding author of this article so you can find his contact information on the article page. That article again is called Stresses and Mental Health in Bangladesh, Current Situation and Future Hopes and you can find it in the BJ Psych International of course. And of course you've been listening to the BJ Psych International podcast. I have been Sachin and I have been Hamilton. And we thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this BJ Psych International podcast. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at the BJ Psych. To listen to more podcasts from the BJ Psych Journal portfolio, visit us on SoundCloud or search for us online.